Hey listeners, today our sponsor is our friends at Empire Flippers. We've been pals with the team behind this brand for years, and we've seen them become the largest curated M&A marketplace in the industry for buying and selling e-commerce businesses. If you're the owner of a profitable e-commerce store and you have ever thought about selling your brand for a massive profit, there's never been a better time than right now. You can check out what your e-commerce store is valued at by going to empireflippers.com slash valuation dash tool. Just answer a few simple questions and they'll give you an automated valuation based on real sales data from businesses just like yours that sold on their platform. On with the show. There's never been a better time to be a direct-to-consumer business. Join us as we uncover the strategies and scaling secrets of the world's most disruptive brands and agencies. This is DTC Podcast. Hello and welcome to the DTC Podcast. Today I am Always excited to hang out with my good friend, Greg Elfrink, uh, Director of Marketing for Empire Flippers. Uh, I've known him for several years. We've had adventures all around the world, so it's always fun to connect. Uh, and in the past few years, Empire Flippers has emerged as the leading end-to-end M&A marketplace for e-commerce and d- digital businesses, selling over $250 million worth of businesses and creating low-hassle buying and selling win-wins for global entrepreneurs. Greg and his team have recently compiled their 2020 State of the Industry Report, and today we're going to be diving in with him to explore about why right now might be the best time to consider selling your empire, uh, and probably lots of other interesting topics considering the things that we usually get into when we uh, are together. Uh, So first of all, welcome to the D2C podcast, Greg. To start, tell me something that people get wrong about selling their e-commerce business. Something they get wrong. Well, uh, if it's your first time selling, the biggest thing that uh, sellers get wrong is is either way overvaluing their business or way undervaluing the business. So uh, there's a thing I call having emotional equity. So when you first build your DTC commerce brand or whatever the business is, if it's successful, it probably improved your life, right? Like now I, I don't, I quit the job. I I'm building wealth, all, all this kind of stuff, right? I can, you know, work from home, which, you know, not as big of a perk now. Everyone's working from home for the most part, but it used to be a big perk. Uh, so all this stuff adds into the value of what they perceive their brand is worth. But when it comes to actually selling the business, the investor is going to be looking at it with a much more cold arithmetic at your PL. Like they're going to be happy it did the, all this cool stuff for you but they're not going to equate that into the value of the business. And first-time sellers, uh, uh, entrepreneurs that sell their first business, they often get that wrong. That's interesting. So so let's just talk a little bit about valuations here. And give me an example of like, like do, do people go into it? Because people will look up like, you know, how businesses are, are valued. They'll have some sense. Is it is it that they'll they'll really extend the multiple longer than they think or, they're, or they'll, or will they just fabricate numbers? <laughs> Maybe a little bit of both, actually. Uh, so usually where this problem comes from of the overvaluation, at least, is a lot of sellers think about the potential. So entrepreneurs, they'll think like, oh, this business has so much potential. You know, this is the next like $8 million idea right here in e-commerce. Like, And we'll have to tell them because we build their profit and loss statements like, well, that might be true, but right now it's the next $500,000 business, right? <laughs> like based off the what we're seeing. Uh, so a lot of times entrepreneurs kind of uh, mess up because they want to sell on that potential. And uh, for anyone in your audience, if you ever want to sell without using a broker, never sell on potential because 
all that's going to do, like if a buyer hears like, oh, this is the next $8 million deal, uh, you can get it so cheap for that $500,000, let's say, the buyer might come back, well, how about let's do this, I'll pay you 50 grand right now, and I'll pay you an extra 2 million once we get to that $8 million potential you're talking about, you're so convinced, you know, you're so convinced it'll happen, let's do the deal, you're going to make way more money, I'll do all the work, right? So th this is, you uh, cripple yourself when you sell on potential, the better way is usually to talk, which is count, uh, counterintuitive, but the better way is usually talking about all the mistakes you made, uh, like all the flaws, all the messed up things you did, things that didn't work, because that silently builds the potential in the buyer's mind. Like, oh, wow, the way he's talking about Facebook ads, definitely not an expert. I can definitely do better than him, right? So that you build the opportunity by talking about your mistakes. Oh, that's really interesting. Now, and I think this this is something we're, you know, we're working with different companies who are doing different roll-ups in the, for instance, in the Amazon space. Um, and I think everyone has this idea. I think there's a, I, I know you guys have sold a lot of uh, fulfillment by Amazon businesses. Um, and I think there's this feeling you know, that once you build that brand on Amazon, there's this whole undiscovered potential of, of uh, performance marketing that you could, that you could, you know, we could blow this brand up on, on all these other channels. But what you're saying is it's really important to sell. Yeah. Sell on what you've accomplished as opposed to what, what you think you can accomplish on, on another platform for se, per se. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's more important to sell the business where it is currently in reality than trying to sell on where it could be in two to four years, because the buyer's not buying where it could be in two to four years. Like, obviously they hope to get that, but that's not where the business is right now. And unless you're like a SaaS business and even SaaS businesses have trouble selling on potential, like it, it's just not going to happen e-commerce typically. I, I'm not saying it can't, but it's very unusual. And your example of sort of, uh, this is something, you know, as an agency, we're always looking for when we talk with clients as well, when they explain how their Facebook ads have worked or how their Google ads have worked, because we're, we're, we're listening, not for them to brag and say, we're crushing it, but for, for them to say, <laughs> oh, you know, we haven't put the right attention into this, or we tried this and it didn't work. So I think that point of bringing up and being very transparent about the areas, you know, that, that you may have, you know, not had big wins is, is you know, a really good, good way to implant in that seller's mind that, okay, th this is where I can provide the upside. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's a way to sell on potential without actually selling on potential. So you'll get usually better offers, ironically, by talking about all the things you've messed up. So uh, I always uh, implore entrepreneurs to be just super honest and transparent on anything like that. You know, uh, it's only going to help you in the end. Uh, and if you weren't transparent on it, it's probably going to hurt you in the end when they find out about it, looking at your analytics or whatever, like, hey, what's this? What's going on with that? You know? <laughs> so it's always better to be very upfront about it all. Makes sense. Okay, cool. So you've been with Empire Flippers now, was it close to five years? Over five years now, April 4th, uh, this month was uh, four, uh, five, over five years now. Yeah. So you've seen a lot of businesses sold. You've been, been, you know, you've seen a lot of entrepreneurs walk away from, you know, with wins on, on both the buying and selling side. What are you seeing in the marketplace right now in 2021? And why are you calling this the season of the seller? Yeah, so this is a very exciting time for sellers. So I, I never tell someone to time the market. And when it comes to selling a business, there really isn't much of a market to time with. It's not like the stock market where it like rises and falls by the minute, right? Uh, usually the growth of value in a business is quite slow. But in 2020, we saw valuations just explode, especially in the e-commerce space. So Amazon FBA and DTC e-commerce in particular are very hot assets right now that buyers want to have. And there's something very interesting that is happening where 
you have all these brand aggregators who are raising millions upon millions of dollars, some hundreds of millions to go out and acquire these brands. This is and the roll-ups that, that I was exist. referring to e yeah, exactly. that we're seeing all over the place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The roll-up companies. Uh, you never saw that before. Now in 2018, we actually did see a little bit of them, but they all failed. <laughs> None of them succeeded with what they were doing. Uh, but now there is a new model that actually is working. Uh, and so we're seeing these people come in and just creating all of this hype around, uh, you know, buying these businesses and selling these businesses, which is creating another layer here. So most of those brand aggregators, they'll buy, they're looking at businesses like 1 million and up uh, to deploy their capital in, but all the buzz that that's creating, it's getting people from commercial real estate, uh, more traditional equities trading, uh, even offline brick and mortar entrepreneurs who are relatively high net worth looking for a yield to think about like, wait a second, what is this online business thing? Like what Amazon, Amazon, you could sell on Amazon, you know? So all these people are like coming into the space and that's driving up so much of the valuations is this new competition. And some of my friends, they wonder like, well, is this a bubble or whatever? And I, I don't think it is because online businesses have always been slightly less valuable, valuable than like an offline business. Like you look at, um, I don't know, say you had a local cleaning company or a local uh, industrial equipment rental company or something like that, very brick and mortar kind of style, that valuation would tend to be higher than say a DTC commerce and Amazon FBA business, but that's not true anymore. They're a lot more on parity now with each other. So that's a really interesting, uh, yeah, like observation there. And that's very COVID driven, very, very pandemic driven. The oh, fact that e-commerce sure. grew 10 sure. years in 10 months, it's just, it's got the momentum, uh, but it also is on a much more equal footing when, you know, so many businesses do have to go direct to consumer. They can't always rely on brick and mortar. For sure. So that's the thing. Like, so you, you know, this as well as me, I'm sure a lot of your audience knows the trends for e-commerce has been exploding before 2020, right? Like yeah. the adoption is just, it's obvious what's happening. But COVID just sped everything way, way, way up to turbocharge, right? Uh, and it's fascinating to watch because like even older demographics that would have never adopted e-commerce now are. Like my mom, for example, she's using all these apps. Like she hasn't been to a grocery store in like 10 months. It's like loving it. She's like, I'm never going back again. <laughs> this is so much more convenient. You know, they just never like, I don't want to learn a new thing, all this stuff. But now they're forced to, and entire nations are forced to be shopping online. Like there will be some drop off once things are back to normal in a year or two, but like, I don't see it going back to where it was, right? So this is a huge opportunity right now for entrepreneurs to cash out in ways they never could. Like there's so much dry tinder and liquidity in this space. So if you look just at our marketplace, we have over $3 billion of verified liquidity that buyers have showed us as proof of funds to look at the businesses we're selling. Like that's a lot of dry tinder waiting to uh, go and acquire these businesses. So uh, yeah, like if you're an entrepreneur and it makes sense for your personal and business goals to sell, you could literally not ask for a better time. Like the last five years of my career, I guess four years of my career, it was 100% a buyer's market. And for the first time ever, like especially right now is really a seller's market, which is it never has happened before. So, so you've seen all these entrepreneurs sell their businesses. Can you paint a little bit of a picture about like, what's the best case scenario? You sell your business for a, a great multiple, good valuation. And then what are these entrepreneurs doing that have, that have built, you know, their identities around these businesses? Like you were saying, all these 
uh, quantitative uh, feelings that go into into mm-hmm. building these businesses. What what's a really good case scenario? Once someone sells that business, has a bunch of their own dry tinder, has a bunch of their their own liquidity. What are people doing after the fact after they sell these businesses to make their lives better? Yeah, so uh, this is a great question. So one of the things I tell, especially e-commerce entrepreneurs, is when you're growing your business, you're spending all that money on inventory. And it's really your business that's demanding your capital in so many regards. And as you scale, the more capital you need, the more stress you get. And you're just tied to all the algorithms, right? Like Facebook, Google, uh, Amazon, if you're on Amazon. Uh, But once you sell, you really across this threshold that I call the doors of possibilities, you start opening them up. And there's several different routes we see entrepreneurs go through with here. Uh, They will take the capital and go build a new brand new business. And unlike in the old business where the business demanded their capital, they get to demand the capital because it's devoid of the algorithms, the inventory costs, all that kind of stuff. Right. So they might go start a new startup. And unlike their original one, where they had a bootstrap, maybe they're buying inventory on credit cards to just get it going, right? Uh, they can be well-funded. They can hire the right people. They can hire people like Pilot House to come and crush their ads now, right? With no problem, they're well-funded. Uh, they can hire the right uh, software. They can do everything correctly from the get-go, especially with all the mistakes they probably did in their first one. This new one will be way easier to build. They become like their own mini private equity. They get to fund their next deal that they build from scratch. Or the other thing we see people do is like, hey, I, I really like, like, let's say as an e-commerce entrepreneur is really, really good at sourcing and logistics. They buy, they look at our marketplace and they start buying other ones, probably smaller businesses than what they sold. And then they start building it up. They like optimize the supply chain, the Facebook ads, et cetera. And in 12 to 18 months, maybe they sell that business with us too for a much higher multiple than they bought it for. So that's some stuff we've seen. Uh, other things that can happen is uh, investing in stocks, real estate. We've had people, uh, we, yeah, crypto, of course, uh, everything into Dogecoin and SafeMoon, uh, yeah. not financial advice, just educational uh, jokes. <laughs> Don't sue me out if you invest in Dogecoin. But, uh, but yeah, like, uh, so that those are some of the things we see. I, we, we just sold a uh, $11 million business where a guy was having you know, some issues with his health and he's a little bit older guy and he wants to just retire. Like, and he lives in Mexico, right? He's an American guy, but he moved down to Mexico City. And like $11 million is going to go pretty far. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? I've, I've, I was just watching a YouTube video that was just talking about your first million and how, how hard your first million is to make. Uh, after you've made that first million, like you say, you, you have capital, you have this whole level of experience. It's it's you know decidedly easier to make your second, third, tenth, tenth million apparently than your first, uh, which I think is kind of what you're speaking to here because you've got you you have the formula that brought you there. You know a lot of the mistakes you made going into it. So I think once you have that that liquid capital, the the world's your oyster a little bit uh, as to what you do with it. Absolutely. So a thing I tell entrepreneurs all the time is your net profit is king, but your liquidity is queen. And in the game of chess, like you've got to protect the king, but it's the queen that makes all the winning moves when something changes in the market, right? Like that's the power there. So I I, I was just talking to an entrepreneur the other day, he built this business that uh, he thinks it can go to 3 million right now. It's like around 1.5. And he he asked me, should I sell now? I was like, well, if you're hundred percent confident, you can get to 3 million go for it if it's within a reasonable time frame. If you're even just 99%, you should ask yourself, well, what would one and a half million dollars do for me right now? If I had it just in my pocket, burning a hole, like, could I make that explode into something much bigger than 3 million? And for a lot of entrepreneurs, to be honest, the answer is yes. Like, 
entrepreneurs are scrappy, inventive, innovative, and now they have a budget, <laughs> which is something that most entrepreneurs don't ever usually get until they sell a business. So I love it. Okay. Let's just talk valuation for a second here. It's pretty simple formula. Average net profit times multiple equals equals the price that you listed at. And, and so when you're mm -hmm. talking about this being the season of the seller and that this being the best time to sell a business, does that just, because you're not going to change that average net profit, that just means that we're selling for higher and higher multiples because people are able to think about e-commerce businesses as being more long-term stable? Is that kind of what's happening there with the valuations? Yes. So that, that is part of it. Uh, there is a, a bit of the net profit equation because so many people are shopping online. Like mm. for my buddies in the Amazon affiliate game, for example, Amazon cut their affiliate commissions and they still were making record levels of income because of everyone shopping online. Uh, but yeah, so more and more people are coming to more from more traditional backgrounds now, uh, looking at these businesses as something that can provide real yield, you know, when other uh, markets don't. Uh, know that like commercial real estate for example is not really providing much of a yield to anyone at the moment so a lot of these people are coming in and buying these businesses because it is the next wave of entrepreneurship but uh yeah so that is the thing that's driving up is the, all that competition all the new blood coming in all the buzz that is being created around these roll-ups as well who are coming in and buying them and getting everyone excited to buy an online business very cool. Can we talk a little bit about the rollups? I don't know. I, I think you sure. probably see them happening. We've got we've got a guy in town here uh, who's like a, a big time entrepreneur who, who who's kind of doing some interesting thing in that things in that space. What is the general idea with rollups that you're going to you're going to roll up products within a within a category and create synergies within them, or are they just literally you know are they, are people trying to create operational synergies? Uh, like talk a little bit about what 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 the roll up game looks like right now. Yeah, sure. So we actually helped create a lot of them. <laughs> so we've been selling uh, Amazon FBA business, which is what most of them go after. We were the only one selling them back in 2016. We were the first. So uh, we have a lot of experience with them. Some of the biggest names in that place, they got their start buying those businesses from us. But um, it's a bit of a misnomer to just call them a roll up because they have different strategies. So we call them brand aggregators. Also, sometimes they're called institutional buyers because uh, there are sometimes private equity and family office involved too with the stuff. Uh, but technically, the, the strategy is very similar to what you said. They buy all these uh, high quality brands. So they're usually not going to make a low ball offer on you, but you will tend to make less money if you sell to them privately than if you sell with us, which I can get into. But uh, they typically, <clears throat> what they're looking to do by a good business at a good value, very much a value investor kind of formula. And they take all these businesses, they optimize everything to the moon with logistics, ads, you name it. And they, they do try to make those brands play off of each other when it does make sense. A lot of them build customized software as well that gives them unique advantages uh, across a bunch of different verticals. Um, and yeah, so that like that's the strategy. Some of them, they want to do buy and hold. So uh, one of our bigger customers, they're a buy and hold brand aggregator, and their ultimate mission is not even to be on Amazon. They want to create their own like giant store with all these brands, and Amazon is really just the seed of a much bigger idea for them. For other companies, they want to do a more traditional roll-up where they buy all these different brands, they synergize everything, that there's a good management team in place, and once that's uh, set up where they become what I always tell entrepreneurs to become, which is the least valuable person in your business. Now they can go and sell that to private equity for even bigger multiples because private equity, like true private equity, usually is not looking at anything below 10 million. 
uh, I mean, to be honest, a lot of them are not looking at anything below 50 million. So uh, the multiples you get at that level of the game is way bigger. So you can buy stuff, a, bu a bunch of Amazon FBA businesses for say 42, 43X, uh, that's monthly EBITDA by the way, not annual. Uh, and then go and package them all together. And suddenly you're selling for 70, maybe even 90X, depending on who the private equity person is. Again, monthly, just for anyone out there listening. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's super interesting. And uh, so you've, you've got these FBA businesses being being rolled up. Who, uh, who, when it comes to operating these businesses on the other side, what what are people doing? Are they hiring independent product uh, project managers? You know, the people that are that are coming at it from equity. I, I know there's some owner operators. There's some people, high net worth individuals that want to come in and, and run their own digital business. But what are some of these bigger players doing? Are they are they hiring product managers to run with these things? Yeah, so every company is a bit of a different setup. So for example, we just had uh, one of them on our uh, podcast, uh, The Opportunity, where we interview business buyers all the time. Uh, and they have a unique strategy where they actually give the option to the seller to actually retain equity. So they can maybe do almost like an aqua hire where the old, where the guy selling the business is now the guy still running the business, but now he has like tons of funding behind him. So that that's a very interesting model. Most one, most uh, brand aggregators don't do that. They just buy the business. But yeah, they'll they'll have like brand managers, and there might be like a brand manager depending on size and complexity of the brand might have several brands or be focusing on just one brand. So I, I believe one of our customers, uh, as an example, they bought a. I think it was a $1.8 million business about two and a half years ago. And now it's closing in on $5 million. Like if they went to go sell it today, it'd be worth about 5 million. I think they have like a dedicated brand manager to that one just because it's blown up so much. But every of the, all these companies are all unique in their setup, but they are always looking for like customized systems and solutions to like streamline everything across the board, which makes sense. Cause like, for your audience out there that is a bootstrap entrepreneur, I can't imagine how many days where they feel like their hair is on fire and all these different things they have to like manage, right? So these brand aggregators really separate it out into its own unique unit that just specializes in this one thing. Nice. Uh, okay, so what's easier? Is it easy? So, you know, we've worked with some FBA brands that come to us and say, we want uh, to build out our D2C uh, you know, platform. And uh, I, I think we've, you know, we've also worked with, uh, you know, worked with brands that really want to get onto FBA who, who maybe start on D2C. What, what do you see it as what's, what's an easier challenge to, to build out your D2C platform after you already, already have FBA or vice versa? I think it's probably uh, easier if you have the DTC platform to build out the FBA business better. Uh, because Amazon is notorious for being really bad at giving you customer data. So if you've been able to run a DTC commerce platform and successfully profit from it, that means you have an email list, you have an audience, you can do lookalikes, all this stuff that is more difficult to do with uh, traditional FBA stuff. Like there's ways around it, obviously, like people do get that customer list. It's just trickier. <laughs> so I think starting from the DTC side, if it's already up and running, it's easier to build an FBA business. But if you had to compare them apples to apples, uh, building from scratch, I do think FBA provides so many benefits. It's actually easier to get started over there versus building a DTC platform. 
But if you want to get big, you're saying it might be better to master that D2C business where you really get all that data and then kind of pump that into your into your FBA listing so that you're you've got a better chance at growing on that side. We're we're just having we're just doing our our Amazon um, course right now, and I, you know I'm not super familiar with that with that space, but just hearing all that goes into into your listing, into the research, into the keywords. Uh, today we're going to be talking about ads and and how that plays into it as well. It's it it is a very interesting ecosystem compared to D2C. Um, but you're right. You really do miss out on a lot of the data that you get on, on this side of things. Yeah. And you think about this too. Let, let's say you're running a DDC commerce. That's a, I don't know, five, $7 million brand. You've probably mastered direct response ads or in sequencing all that fun stuff. Right. But here's the thing you're spending like, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars on advertising at this point. Not everyone on there is going to just click that and go buy, as we all know, right? We like, for we hope they remember us and they'll like type it in indirect. But what do most people do when they want something? They go see if it's on Amazon, right? They see your ad selling some random thing, like a microphone, maybe, and they totally forget the name of the site, but they remember how the microphone looked like that they were interested in. They type in wireless microphone, Bluetooth microphone on Amazon that's the one I saw on Facebook. That's the one I want, right? So you get that brand spillover onto Amazon because Amazon just has this dominant market share. Nice. Uh, you mentioned earlier that sometimes, uh, you know, people sell privately, people sell through brokerages like yourself. What, like, you know, you're obviously going to advocate for people going through brokerages. You mentioned I'm that- not you, biased at all. Not biased <laughs> at all. But you were just saying that you can actually often even earn, like you'd think maybe privately you'd be shaving off points from the brokerage, but you're saying that when you go with brokerages, you can actually sometimes be earning more than, than if you were going privately. Can you talk oh, a little yeah. bit about that? I probably should have mentioned this as the biggest misconception sellers have. <laughs> so uh, I have a friend, uh, a much smaller business. It was only like a, a $350,000 business. He sold that business for $300,000 because he didn't want to pay our commission. And fair enough. Yeah, you'll have to pay a commission. But I told him like, dude, you could have paid us a bigger commission and got like an extra $30,000 in your pocket because you sold it for undervalue. And if you think about it, like most people are afraid, they want to go private because they don't want to pay the commission to the broker. But the beauty of using a broker is you get to command a much higher sales price. Typically, you got negotiators working on your behalf, you have vetting teams, migrations, you have their buyer network, like ours is over 3 billion, like I mentioned. You have all this stuff going for you when you use a broker that you don't have when it comes to private. And this is another funny thing, Eric, like when people buy and sell a business, you know, when they're operating a business, they're, when they're running their ads, they're thinking about like, oh, I put on my copywriting hat, right? Like, what does the customer want? I need to really speak to that. But when they go to sell the business, it's like they put the copywriter hat in the garbage can and never think about what does the buyer want? So if you think about it, what a buyer wants in a private deal, like why is the buyer spending all this effort? Because it is a lot of effort to build private deal flow instead of just buying it from us at Empire Flippers. Well, the reason why is they want to get a good deal. And for most buyers, a good deal is a low value price. They don't want you to know that you can sell for a high price because that defeats the purpose of the deal. Uh, now, brand aggregators are different on that. They will usually not lowball you. They will usually give you a good offer, but most buyers will not do that. <laughs> They're going to try to lowball you if it's private. But the thing with brand aggregators, so if, you, if you're running a, say, a a seven figure and up FBA store or DTC commerce store, it's even better to go with a broker than private in this case, because 
the only advantage the brand aggregator can give you is a faster transaction. So if you need the money like right away, they'll probably be faster than a broker. But if you want more money, you can basically tap into every single brand aggregator that exists currently by using a broker because they all shop at brokers. Like brand aggregators just starting off have no private deal flow yet. So they're forced to shop at brokers to start off. The ones with private deal flow are actively competing with brokers, but they'll still use the broker because they don't want to miss out on a good deal. Like for them, they're not just looking for the lowest value, they're looking for the highest quality. And sometimes the business goes with the broker that they want. I, I just was buying a, a car recently and I and I hadn't bought a car in many years. And I was I was at this dealer and I was saying, all right, like what's the best deal you can give me here? What can we share? And he's just like, hey, let me tell you how this works now. And he just was just sort of saying, because, you know, the car situation, there's brokers, there's everyone is looking at this constant sort of algorithmic price online. It's just like, it, it just sort of took the, the hassle out of, out of it a little bit because there's so much data on either side about what these cars are worth. And I imagine it's similar with you guys because you have so much data on both sides of the equation. There, you know, you're going, everyone wants a good deal and that tension is going to, you know, boil out during the process, you'd think. Oh, 100%. And if you sell privately to a brand aggregator, like say you're talking to a brand aggregator roll-up company A, they submit an offer to you. It's not like roll-up company A is going to roll-up company B and be like, hey, I just made an offer on this. Do you want to do like a counter offer to see if you can beat me? Like they're not doing that in a private situation. But when you're doing it with a broker, it's very clear what's happening, right? We, we've had these brand aggregators flat out tell us like, hey, if this brand aggregator makes an offer on a business, let me know, I will beat it. Like that's how fierce they are yeah. competing against each other. And you don't get to tap into that if you sell privately. Very cool. Can you talk a little bit? I'm just reading your notes here too. Can you talk a little bit about the launch of Empire Flippers Capital and where that fits in, in your sort of op, your product offering? Sure. So uh, EFC is a, a, a project we've wanted to do for years and years. So uh, as you know, like if you put investing on a spectrum between passive and active, like low cost index funds is like the most passive thing ever in the world versus buying a business, an online business, like probably the most active kind of investing you can do, right? Like you've got to do a lot of stuff to make that investment work for you. So the whole idea of EF Capital was like, all right, how do we bring online business acquisition down to the index fund spectrum? Like what kind of systems would we need to be able to produce something like that? So the idea is investors can put in money, they can invest in multiple different operators. Each operator is raising money uh, in a pool, uh, a, a deal pool, more or less. Once that deal is funded, the operator goes and buys an online business from us that they run. And then the investor gets dividends paid to them once a quarter based off the profits of that business. So the investor themselves literally have to do nothing except for put their money in. Now, don't put it like if anyone's like excited by what I just said, don't put like your life savings in there because it's volatile. Only put money in that you're willing to risk. Cause like, you know, if the business, uh, I had a guy on LinkedIn ask me like, what happens if the business fails? How do we get our money back? And I had to tell like, you don't. Like, that's, that's the way it the works. Risk. Yeah. Like everyone lost money, including Empire Flippers, because we only make money if it's making money too. Yeah. So like, it's not like we have this like treasure chest buried out of the sale. Oh, let me go get that for you. This money we didn't use <laughs> to acquire businesses, right? Uh, but yeah, so it, it's a cool program. On on the flip side, it solves a lot of different problems. So 
uh, it solves the active investing part of the equation for people who just want to see their money grow and have exposure to say an Amazon FBA business, for instance. Uh, and it helps with uh, financing technically for an operator. So it, as you know, Eric, like there's no financing in our space, really. Like you got to get above $10 million to banks to look at you. Like if you tell them, hey, I sell dog bowls on Amazon. They're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> get out of here, you know? But of course, if you're 10 million up, then they'll talk to you. It's usually just, you know, those economies to scale. So at, at Amazon FBA entrepreneur sells like a, a $700,000 business. They can't go and buy that $2 million dog boat business. They don't have enough capital. But with EF capital, they actually can because they are only putting like 7%, up to 7% of their own money into the deal. And the investors act as their financiers in that, in that case. So we're, we're pretty excited to see what, what happens with it. Nice. Okay. So one of the things this podcast is really good at, uh, it's called the secret. Have you heard of this thing called the secret where you just sort of put oh, your intentions out into the universe. It's funny in terms of like getting big clients for pilot house or big podcast guests that we want to get on here. So Greg, I want to ask you if you, if you could manifest anything from this podcast, who is the person who's listening to this right now, who, who you want to talk to? I want to get Kevin O'Leary on a podcast with me. Okay, I like it. Aim big. Elon Musk. I want Elon Musk. I want Elon Musk to listen to this. But I'm thinking more of an avatar around, you know, someone who you want to either buy or sell a business. Like who, who in your mind? Or maybe that is Kevin O'Leary. You want Kevin O'Leary to come on and become an, an Empire Flippers uh, customer? Oh, that would be dope. <laughs> I just think it would be fascinating to have a conversation with him about the M and A space where we are versus like the kind of M and A that he does. Yeah, uh, him and Mark Cuban both. I think that would be just a, a very fascinating conversation, whether it's on a podcast or not. Uh, in terms of who do I want to see, I want to see an uh, DTC commerce business owner or an Amazon FBA business owner with a valuation of fifty million dollars that sells with us because uh, we can sell it. Like. We've sold several eight-figure businesses now, and we have the capabilities, in my opinion, to sell a business up to 50 million. So uh, we'll give you a great, great commission discount on that too, because you'll be our first one. So Nice. Okay, cool. So if you're out there, you got an eight-figure business, you want to get in touch with Greg, you can email him, greg at empireflippers.com. Indeed. Uh, yeah. Any other ways that people can get in touch with you if, uh, if they want to know more? They obviously got to go to empireflippers.com right now also and download your state of the industry report from 2020. Uh, you also have an amazing uh, you know, valuation tool on the platform to give people a pretty clear idea of what their business might be worth. Uh, so go to empireflippers.com and check that out. I'll mention quickly too, uh, Mark Cuban, uh, you mentioned, I, I, many years ago, I had a business. I read that he was uh, in, he was acquiring ad tech businesses. I had an ad tech business. I just read a news report about it. And I just emailed him and said, I hear you're acquired. I, I just looked up like rocket reach or something like that, made up a fake email because I'd used it 10 times uh, and, and got Mark Cuban's email and emailed him just about this with this topical thing to say, Hey, I hear, heard you acquired a business like this. Here's my business. Let's talk about it. And we ended up going back and forth and having like a total conversation. He emailed me like oh, within wow. five minutes of it. So, 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 <laughs> Don't be afraid to aim big. Uh, I definitely need to find Kevin O'Leary. It's funny when I was 18, I read the four hour work week and Tim Ferriss had a thing in the phone book or in the book of how to reach influential people and say it's much easier than people think. And so I followed his system because at the end of the chapter, he, he had an assignment, like try to reach someone 
that you think is a major influencer, all that stuff. So I followed his whole system to reach him and uh, it worked. And because I knew his email habits, because it's in the book, right? He says exactly how he ignores emails for like two weeks and stuff. So I followed it up and I got, I couldn't believe it. I actually got on the phone with his assistant and then I uh, I said hi to Tim. And I, you know, I was 18, filled with anxiety, all this stuff. I'm like, oh my God, I have like nothing to say. I have to have a business. I don't have anything. Like I'm not working on anything. Like, hi. <laughs> Sorry to waste your time. I didn't think this was going to work. <laughs> That's actually what happened with Mark Cuban as well. We really, he was just like, sure. Well, tell me about your business. What's it worth? Blah, 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 blah. And I like, wasn't, I wasn't on the ball ready to, to actually wheel and deal with him. So that was a bit of a, a lost opportunity. I wanted to just end with one like sort of final question. And, and just to put you on the spot here a little bit, like you see all, you know, hundreds and hundreds of businesses being built, bought, sold. Uh, I just, I just be curious. I know, I know your focus is on the marketing for empire flippers. You know, that that's really where you're, where, where you're focused, but if you were to start a D2C business or an e-commerce business, like right now, what, what where would you focus? Like, where do you think is like some, a really hot space uh, for 2021? Yeah, so I, you're asking like in terms of niches or like maybe in niche in terms of niches or just yeah any information you can give on that question. Sure. So I'll answer the niche one first because I get this question asked bajillions of times like what's the best niche to sell? What's the best niche to build? And based off of our actual data because we actually looked at this and we wrote a, a data report on it for a blog, it's doesn't matter that much. Like the niche, niche almost never matters in any way. There was one business in five years that was like crypto related that that one mattered that it was in the crypto space. But outside of that, like niche never really matters. Um, in terms of what I would do, what I would focus on, like, I don't know if I was building it from scratch, like, and I was a scrappy bootstrapping entrepreneur, I would probably start with high ticket drop shipping. And what I would do is I would take drop shipping and any other kind of affiliate program that has a high margin. And I would use that as my initial research and development to like, okay, I see I'm selling a lot of this product. And then I would go source that product instead of just like spending a ton of money on inventory without like proving out anything. I think that's a missed opportunity. A lot of uh, e-commerce entrepreneurs don't do. And I think it could be really valuable. Like I have friends in the Amazon affiliate space. That's exactly how they do research for their FBA businesses. They look at their Amazon affiliate report and see what they're selling and they go and source a better version of that. Um, the biggest thing, like, and here's something I like, if I was building a DTC e-commerce business, the biggest thing I would focus on is becoming a media company. Like that's how you can go really, really big. So yeah. So for example, I tell my content site friends, like you should be, think like a media company and they're like, why I'm just an affiliate. Like, well, you don't have to always be an affiliate. Like if you build out a, say a seven figure uh, content site, uh, that is just seven figures based off affiliate sales and display ads, all that stuff alone. And you build a good email list that people are coming back and consuming your content. And then you launch an e-commerce product. You'll like, say you launch it on Amazon and you have this list of like 50,000, 150,000 people, you're going to go to the moon. Like you, people want that. They want to have the, the products of the brands that they love. So if I was running a DTC e-commerce business, I focus so much on the content marketing play, which most e-commerce brands never do, uh, to build that media company. Of course, I would use ads and all that stuff too. But yeah, that would be my focus is becoming a media empire with my e-commerce brand. Music to my ears as someone running a media empire. 
uh, build, building a media <laughs> empire on on the D to C side of things. It's a it's a B to B to B you know business empire versus a B to C. But I, I think you're spot on. I think it's really great uh, advice uh, to kind of end things with here. Um, it's linear commerce, right? It's that ability to to create an audience and then build products. You're going to learn so much about that audience through the content and what they engage with. Uh, in, in you know, in terms of, of de- determining how you sell the product, what products you sell to them, uh, and and I was just I, I we were we were writing an intro for a recent newsletter, and we were just taking a look at, at a Morning Brew reported the number of people who are not watching the Oscars, right? It was it went from like twenty four million to twenty million to like nine million. It's like over a like a fifty eight percent drop, and and, and yeah. there's a vacuum there. You know what I mean? I'm not saying everyone who's going to watch the Oscars wants to consume content about your brand, but the, but people are not paying attention to a lot of these like long-standing mainstream things. So there is that opportunity for you to really put energy into content marketing. People are, are, are people's desire for content isn't going down, but it is shifting. I think, and so there's that more opportunity for the democratization of content that we can all create as entrepreneurs. Yeah, and like there, there's a media company I know uh, that's just about chickens, raising chickens. That's it. They sell e-commerce products about raising chickens and they just talk about chickens and they have a huge following that people who are like extremely into it. Like like for me, I, on, I, I'm a fantasy nurse. I watch a guy, uh, Shadowversity, because he talks about like misconceptions of the medieval age. And it's just like this really like weird, deep, nuanced stuff that like just gets me in. And so many e-commerce brands can do that in so many different ways. Like uh, if you're running a brand, it doesn't have to be just about your products, but all the feelings and the content and the nuance around what your product does could be turned into that media company, whether podcast, YouTube, blog, all sorts of different things. I love it. When you were saying when it comes to selling businesses, the niche itself, like the specific niche doesn't matter, but the, the fact that you are addressing a niche or that you do drill down to niches yeah. and you're able to, to, that does matter. And that's where most people fail and they think that it's all in the niche instead of like, well, maybe your marketing is just not that great. <laughs> I love it. Or your product, right? But that doesn't rhyme. So riches within the niches rhymes. And so that's that's what people remember. <laughs> stitches in the niches. <laughs> stitches, niches get stitches. Uh, thank you, we'll Greg. Come up with something. I think we better call it here because it's just about to, I know it's just about to get weird. I know it's late on, on your day. <laughs> Uh, but any, uh, just, uh, just any final words, uh, I, you know, obviously we gave your email addresses, empire, uh, empireflippers.com. What, what are your final words to the D2C audience? Sure. Uh, if, if they want to add me on Facebook, it's just Gregory, the writer or Gregory L. Frank on there. Uh, if you do add me apologies in advance, I write a lot of bad poetry on there. So <laughs> be careful. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Eric. Uh, if you prefer non-poetry, Greg, you can just always add me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, but ultimately my final advice is like, if you're interested in selling or buying a business and you're just curious, feel free to reach out. Like we're not like high pressure salespeople at all. Like if you want an exit planning call, we're happy to help you whether you use us or not. And that's totally free. Uh, we, I just had a friend, he listed uh, his business with us. We've been exit planning with him for two years, you know, uh, helping him get his business set up to be like able to sell the easiest with the most, most efficiently, all that stuff. So yeah, if anyone's curious, just reach out to me. I'm usually pretty easy to get a hold of. That's awesome, man. If you're in Vietnam, you gotta hang out with them. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm planning my midlife crisis tour uh, in, in Southeast Asia any day now. So I, I look forward to a beer and a steak with you sometime soon, sir. I'm looking forward to it myself. Okay, thanks, Craig. See you, man. Bye.